I want to get, you know, Dollar Shave Club or, you know, I want to sell dick pills on my show or whatever it is. And it's like, it's, that's cool. You'll get like $11. Welcome to the On The Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, it's Scott Groves. And as you may or may not know, this uh, podcast, On The Edge podcast, is totally self-funded. And uh, although it's just a passion project, the mics cost money. Chris DeRosa, my uh, right-hand man, he costs money to put everything together edit the clips, do the audio, do the visuals. And uh, the only way that that happens is due to the money that we earn doing mortgages with Synergy Mortgage, the Scott and Dallas team, or more affectionately known as the Dallas and Scott team now, and through our coaching business, which is Consolidated Coaching. So please, if you're looking to do a mortgage, buy, sell, or refinance a house anywhere in the country, or if you happen to be a loan officer listening to this and you're looking for coaching to improve your business, please get in touch with us. Go to my link tree. Uh, We'll schedule an appointment to talk either about your mortgage consultation or your coaching needs. And we'd love to help because it's through those earnings that we are able to support this show. Now back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, boys and girls? It's Scott Groves here with my old friend, Hector Sebastian. And pretty crazy, man, because Hector and I met, oh man, it had to be like eight or nine years ago now at Hal Elrod's very first event. We were in a mastermind for a couple of years. I think back then you definitely didn't have kids. I don't even think you were married yet. Maybe you had just started dating your girlfriend. Kind of lost touch for a while. Were you going through those stages of adulting and like I had moved on to another mastermind, you had grown some businesses. And then we both had kids and reconnected in the Front Row Dads mastermind group. So crazy how like all these circles run together. But you're an awesome dude since I met you when you were in your 20s. And uh, you're a serial entrepreneur. We also both grew up in Southern California, kind of east side of LA. So a lot of connection there. But Hector, welcome to the show. And other than your beautiful wife and your kids, like what did I miss in the introduction of Hector? That's that's what I now introduce myself as. It's since being a front row dad, it's like I spend, if I look at my schedule, I spend most of my time wrangling a three and a four-year-old. And then uh, then my wife, when she wants to pay attention to me, will come and uh, she goes, she's next. And then uh, I do podcasts and uh, I get to, to spend time doing lots and lots of podcasting stuff the rest of my, my time, which is my business. Yeah. And I love, you know, I, I've seen some iterations of your different businesses. I love the kind of uh, parent company of Amplify Media. And then underneath that, obviously, as anybody watching on YouTube can see marketing your podcast, Podcasting Success Secrets is your brand where you help people launch their podcast and kind of get in the space. And then you and I did an interview recently because you've got kind of a sub branding uh, about modern masculinity and like talking to male business owners and fathers and whatnot about what masculinity uh, means to them, especially in the modern age. So can you talk a little bit about like how podcasting, why podcasting, you know, maybe even start all the way back over at like your first business. Where does this evolution go from, you know, Hector, the guy I met nine years ago to now running this little media empire? Yeah, there's when you're catching me literally right in the middle of a, of a huge transition where we're starting a bunch of brands, things are rebranding, and it it started actually at that mastermind that we were at, and I think that you might have been there. I think we, uh, if you went to the Brazilian Steakhouse, I think you were at that lunch where me, you, Stephen Christopher, there was a few other guys. Tim Road was at that at that lunch, yeah. and uh, Facebook Live had just launched or had just came out right around that time, and a few of us committed to ourselves to do a, a daily Facebook live. And over that year, I think I did somewhere around 300 Facebooks, a lot Facebook lives and just trying to find my way. I had recently met my, um, yeah, I met my girlfriend or she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, maybe actually fiance. 
and had quit my my cushy sales job where I was making you know way more money than any 20 something year old should be making thinking that that's how it was going to be forever and uh, jumped into the internet marketing space and was just trying everything under the sun to to make money to pay for a wedding and you know pay rent in Southern California and, and all the things and um I had always enjoyed creating content. You know, I, in eighth grade, I was the middle school. We had like this middle school news production thing that would um, that we'd put out every month on the closed caption TVs. And if I think about it, it was really like in the moment, a way to get out of class. I would be like, yeah, you know, Miss Grenardo, I got to go work on the production. And I would go, you know, dick off in the in the production room for time. But but I did love messing around on iMovie and, and it was right when those you know first kind of Max came out and, and you could start to do some of this stuff and then um you know skip ahead to 2015 when this whole Facebook Live thing was going on. I started to get some really you know strange traction where like my wife started having people come up to her and saying like I, that they knew me and and it's kind of this running joke now where my wife meets more people who follow me than I actually meet in real life. It's a really strange <laughs> kind of instance. But um found media and production and, and that whole thing and then realized that podcasts was kind of this emerging I don't want to say it was emerging but it was really starting to catch a little bit of fire in that 2018 2019 space and a lot of people started asking me for help with their podcasts and kind of doubled down on that and I've always had a, a service-based you know mindset or knew that I wanted to create a, a, an agency to you know provide something in the internet marketing space and podcast became that and now we've got a, a full service podcast company and I think we've got about you know about 15 shows that we we produce and we probably put out 50 to 60 episodes a month and uh, yeah it's 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 good you know it, it's crazy that you mentioned this Facebook live because you're you're bringing me back to in that first quantum leap mastermind that we are part of uh, I remember, is it, is it John Dumas? Is he the owner of Entrepreneur on Fire? I remember he came and spoke to us in San Diego and all of us were like, what? Wait, what, 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 wait, what? You can make a million dollars a year doing a podcast? You know, because I don't know if he still does this, but at the time he had like a running tab of his, you know, costs and income and sponsors and whatnot. And, you know, then the market just got flooded with podcasts because this guy, told everybody you could make a million dollars in sponsorship and traffic and YouTube and whatnot. But I, I, I distinctly remember you and I being there. And also, um, because of what was talked about, I was also really encouraged to, to use Facebook Live. And thank you, because that idea probably came from you. Um, and then that's how I grew my coaching business. Because people don't remember, at the time, if you went Facebook Live, it was such a big deal. Facebook's algorithm puts you in front of everybody you knew and everybody that they knew that were like you. And, you know, yeah, oh, dude, my, uh, my, my, my uh, Facebook lives back then, you know, I would be standing in front of a whiteboard doing some esoteric, stupid stuff that only loan officers care about. And it'd be like 9,000 views. And I was like, for what? For what? And so that kind of helped build organically the coaching business as I know you started to organically build your media business. So of course, my next question is, because you live in the space, what's the next Facebook Live, right? What's the next thing that's going to get a lot of eyeballs on people that are trying to build a business or trying to get their podcast in the top 10? It's, it's t unfortunately, it's TikTok right now. Oh, don't tell me that. I don't, I, 
I don't want to put all my information with the Chinese party. I don't even have it on my phone though. And Scott, you know, we could talk about the reasons why it's scary. And so like, I don't have it on my phone and I don't use it personally as, as much as it would be good for my own personal business. I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. A, because I don't know if it's going to be sustainable in the sense that yes, right now there's that virality factor and it's so unfortunate. You could still do it a little bit on YouTube shorts and less so on Instagram, but um, I don't know if it's going to be here, right? There's all these bands and all these whatever. And then all of the weird kind of terms of service stuff that just goes on where it's just, it's too much. And so that's the unfortunate part. If you want to look forward ahead, like, so what's the next answer? The next answer is, um, is YouTube shorts is right there. Like, like YouTube is just sitting lying in the, in the bushes. Like they always are. Everybody thinks like, Oh, haha, TikTok, haha, Instagram. And YouTube is just sitting there lying and waiting. Um, they have more, more people watching YouTube shorts already than TikTok does <clears throat> has a user base. And so it's just, it just doesn't get any notice. Like Google doesn't want that kind of attention. Right. And then something, Scott, that might uh, just, you know, to throw something on your radar is LinkedIn newsletters have been really, um, especially for professional markets, have been so uh, over-indexing because similar to what Facebook was trying to do with their Facebook Lives, LinkedIn, they they ping, they ping your notifications. So you get a little thing that says, you know, Scott Groves posted something new in this. They also send you that person an email. So when they hit subscribe, it also hits their inbox. And then, you know, all the other things that come along, you know, with, with it. And so those are, are some of the things that come to mind. So I'm guessing LinkedIn newsletter is trying to either replace or compete with the sub stacks, the constant contact, the MailChimp. They're like, hey, you don't even have to leave our service. Just write your company newsletter, your recipes, your mortgage advice, whatever here in LinkedIn. And not only will we act as your server, we'll ping everybody's like favorite social media network, LinkedIn, which is not anybody's favorite social media network, but they think so at LinkedIn. Um, I like LinkedIn though, because they get into your inbox and what's cool is when it comes in your inbox, it says it's coming from Scott Groves. Mm. So it doesn't say LinkedIn newsletter. It says Scott Groves. And then it has the title of your LinkedIn newsletter. So it actually looks like you're sending them an email, which is cool. Yes. And, um, and that I, so, so that's one of those kind of, um, just right now that channel is over indexing than, than some of the other ones. Nice. Nice. I love that. And then uh, talk a little bit, you know, I just read an article the other day, which is good for the people that are willing to sustain the podcast. So we passed a hundred episodes last year, like we're in it, you know, if I had to go back and restart the on the edge podcast, because it's been a huge time suck, even though it's been a lot of fun, would I do it? Eh, probably not. But now there's a little bit of like a sunk cost fallacy where it's like, we got the $10,000 studio of equipment. We've got some traction. You know, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is like building a brand and seeing if that's a if that's an intersection of us working together. So this is like a podcast slash job interview. Um, but I just read that in 2022, 80% fewer podcasts launched than in 2020 and 2021. So the 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 flare and the excitement of the startup has kind of that ship has sailed on podcast. Plus, we're not in COVID anymore. Plus, people aren't locked into their house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So is that exciting for you? Because the people that are starting or wanting to launch are more serious? Or is it like, ooh, our market share is down 80% year over year? Yeah. As a podcaster, I'm enthusiastic about that because there's actually less competition because everybody, their mom and their grandma started a podcast in, you know, during COVID. And so those numbers are obviously, you know, inflated, like just so many of the other just numbers are, there's just weird numbers. Um, 
And and do I do I look at that? And because our our core business is about helping people start podcasts, uh, sure. I mean, sure. I'm like, it's it's not as enthusiastic, but but or you know, it's not as just crazy. But I also there's so many positive benefits of having a podcast that aren't ever going to go away. And it's almost like in the same way that writing a book did, you know, establish some sort of credibility or some sort of authority for people, having a podcast it, it does that same kind of thing. And what I people what people aren't realizing is that they don't see that they don't see that fruition until until years later. <clears throat> because a lot of times when you put out a book, you put out a book and you get all the adulations and all the flair and all the things and and it happens like like boom when you release it but what they don't see was the maybe the 10 5 3 years leading up to that of writing the book putting it off you know all of all of that part doesn't isn't as sexy it's that they launched the book and then you get all of your you know all of your all the dopamine right Right, Whereas right. the podcast, it's the opposite. It's this slow burn. It's like, oh, I launched a podcast. And that's almost like I've heard it akin to telling people that you're going to start writing a book. Right, right. Okay, that's that's great. There's nothing there yet. And and so people don't give it enough time for it to hit the three, five. Joe Rogan, by the time he got to you know the Spotify deal was at like episode 1000, right? You know, I think he was at like 1500. And so, you know, he's almost 10 years into that before he starts to see any real, what, what people would call real success, right? Otherwise, it just looked like he was dicking around with his friends. So I think that's also what I am in, encouraged by is that I know that it's it's not a medium that's going away. Only more people are going to be listening to it. And so there's actually going to be less competition for the people who stick it out, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for those people that do stick it out, talk to us a little bit about, you know, because uh, monetization, right? At some point, like Chris and I are going to have to find a way to make money off of this because I got to pay Chris to edit the episodes and put them out on Anchor and do all the shit that I'm not going to do because, no offense, I have a real job. Like, I, I got to go do mortgages and I got to coach loan officers and I've got to talk to realtors and whatnot. So what are, you know, when you're talking through somebody, and one of the things I really respected about Chandler Bolt, uh, shout out to his relaunch of selfpublishing.com like they're now doing everything they used to just help you write the book and now they're doing book covers and editors and like a real big boy publishing company and one of the things i really respected about him is before i dropped five grand to go through his writing program to write the book and teach me how to self-publish and go through the self-place webinars and have the accountability coach uh he said hey let's just be clear nobody makes money writing a book like unless you're jk rowling or the estate of tom clancy or you know whatever um, uh, Stephen King. Nobody makes money writing a book. What you do is you use the book as a business card or a wedge or something to get speaking engagements or coaching calls or to leave it as a keepsake to your grandchildren who maybe one day read about you. But just let's be clear: nobody's making money on books. And I'm like, all right, man, I appreciate the honesty. So if we're thinking about that, that you know, the, all the spoils go to the top one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent that Joe Rogan gets a $50 million contract and I'll never make $87 doing this podcast. But if you're talking to people about, hey guys, what are the paths to monetization? Because if you're going to if you're gonna trade time for money and you're going to do this as a passion project, but one day you realize, I've got to make a few bucks on this to at least pay for the equipment and the, you know, the uh, hectares of the world who are editing my stuff and putting my shows up. What, what is the early 
the early kind of founder thought process to, all right, I'm going to do this for two years for free, but eventually I got to get make some money. Where, where do we go to monetize a podcast? I think there's a couple of buckets, right? And you've got to look at, you've got to look at how much money do you need to make, right? And so the, the best way that you could do it is, yes, if you have a business and the podcast can be a be something that drives the business. And it can do all of those things that you mentioned about the book. What I, I love about podcasts that a book can't do is it's very rare that you can call someone and have and connect with them over a book. You can send them a book, but you're not going to go and read the book together. You're not, there, there's no, there's no relational equity or there's no way that you can directly build relationships or connections or build your network in the same way that podcasts can. And so I would say that that, that is, that's what a lot of people miss. And to answer your question about how soon, I don't think that podcasters have to wait in order to monetize their show if they have that business and they're leveraging the show to, to build that relational equity. And too many podcasters or even creators, they, they look at their, at their audience as their ideal customers. And a lot of times that getting their, their audience especially if they're brand new and they don't have a brand and they don't, they're first time creating content, they're too far away from buying anything or purchasing. They don't trust this person at all. And so instead of expecting your listeners to buy something from you, if instead you can use your guests, a lot of times people have interview shows or they have guests on their show or they feature people on. If you can now have your, your ideal customer be your guest, now all of a sudden you can, I mean, we have people right now that are, are booking hundreds of sales opportunities a month because they're having it go through a podcast. And so I think that that's, that's one thing that, that people miss. Um, the second thing that we're having is like on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you are just looking to, like I, there's a big group of people that just want to make a little bit of money, right? Like if you could go out and you could not have to pay for your, like for you, for your jujitsu, right? Like, I don't want to say like, like, or a golf habit, or like if you could get your, your leisure to pay for itself, yeah. how awesome that could be right and that's the other bucket that i think so too many people they they go in and they see the joe rogans the you know the call your daddies or whatever and um and and they think that that's what the, they're looking for when it might just be to make a couple hundred bucks so you can do something cool in, in, in your spare time and it's not you know it's not draining you know the family the family budget right so, right. so if those are the instances, we've seen things like Patreons work really well, obviously really high up if there's a big community there too. Um, uh, Patreon is, is probably the biggest one that I, that I think of in, in terms of the, the sponsorships. There's some other like, you know, subscription models and Apple Plus and all those kinds of things, which work to a degree. But um, we found that Patreon, you know, all you need is 10, 15 people giving you five to 10 bucks a month. And, and you know, you, you that's enough to pay someone in you know, Bangladesh to edit your audio if you want, you know? <laughs> right, right. Chris, we're going to need you to move to Bangladesh, bro. This, this is what I'm getting out of Hector's talk. No, it's interesting though, because, you know, in my mind, because I'm more of like a, you know, libertarian, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then there's a certain type of demographic that permeates Los Angeles. I've always thought like, well, I should just keep it separate and whatnot. But what you're saying is like, hey man, lean in and spend more time interviewing realtors, interviewing loan officers, interviewing people who you might want to do business with, because it's really just a relationship building thing. And, you know, maybe, you know, we'll just pick a realtor. Um, you know, one of the guys from uh, uh, Beverly Hills Housewives or one of the guys from the agency who's on millionaire listing or whatever the hell it is, you know, 
they're never going to take my call as a loan officer and be like, hey, I'm one of the 72 loan officers calling you to try to get your business. But if I appeal to their ego and I'm like, hey, man, I've got On The Edge podcast. We're going to get you a clip that'll give you 100,000 social media views if you just post it. Da, da, da. We'll make you look really good. We'll interview you. We'll talk about your life. Um, now, all of a sudden, I get to spend an hour and a half of them building a relationship. And then maybe at the end, I close like, hey, man, I'm a pretty good loan officer. You're a pretty good realtor. Maybe there's a dance card for us to fill up here. Um, that, that's kind of what you're talking about as far as monetizing the um, monetizing your business through your guests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly it. Because the traditional model that people think is, I want to go get sponsors. I want to get, you know, Dollar Shave Club or, you know, I want to sell dick pills on my show or whatever it is. And it's like, it's, that's cool. They'll, you'll get like $11 a month or something like that, you know, which is, is and, and, and there are other ways around it, but that's, you know, that's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, you know what I really want to do, Hector, is there's a guy at our gym who his business was just featured on Joe Rogan. It's called Toe Hold Sandals. And he's a jujitsu guy and he had a problem, right? Like his flip flops were always like blowing out, coming to and from jujitsu. He's a pretty big, heavy guy. So, he advertises himself as the most expensive set of sandals in America. And they're like $450 for what looks like kind of what you would find at like a surf shop, right? But they're handcrafted leather. He's here in Henderson. He hand makes every bear. I want to go to him and be like, hey man, can you give me $1 so that we can legally call you a sponsor? I'll buy a pair of your $400 sandals. And I just want to talk about them on the show because like you're a brand that's affiliated with a sport that I love. I believe in you. My coach believes in you. Like, I think he might have even been an investor in your business. And I just want to be able to say that the show is like sponsored by somebody so that maybe when I go to the next jujitsu guy, I can be like, hey, can I get some free rash guards? And you guys pay me a dollar and uh, we'll call it a sponsorship. And then the next guy can be like, hey, the jujitsu tape, you want, you guys, I already got these two sponsors. You want to pay me a hundred bucks a month to be a sponsor of the show? And then maybe one day, all my jujitsu stuff ends up being free because I'm sponsoring them on a show that gets, you know, a couple thousand views an episode. Like, am I crazy or is this, is this pretty slick? No, it's already, it's already happening. And, it's, and that's what's happening is that there, the people are reaching out and they're finding things that make sense. Right. And they're, they're, they're creating those collaborations. And um, the, the problem is, is that if a business wanted to do it the other way, there's no way right now for a business to go in and easily say, I want to advertise on a podcast that has an audience that reaches this and the host is actually going to give a shit about my product. Like there's no real, there's no real way to do that. There's no, there's no Tinder for matching podcasts and, and sponsors. Say that again. There's no Tinder for matching podcasts with sponsors. There's things out there that are trying to do that. And there's agencies that are doing that. But, um, but yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of shows think they need to be at a certain number or they need to have this huge, this huge, you know, audience to be able to either a get someone to pay attention and b actually have some results. But I think a lot of people don't realize that podcasts specifically have this weird ability where if someone listens to your show, they're sitting with you for an hour. If you think about how long it takes for someone to spend an hour with a creator on TikTok, on Instagram, or you know even on YouTube, that's a that that's that's a lot of posts. That is a lot of TikTok videos and all of the distraction and people that come in between that. Whereas with a, a podcast, they're sitting there for an hour. So the relationships that podcast hosts specifically have with their audience is like, is what it's, is what brands are looking for, right? The, the companies that understand branding and the ones that, you know, paid the Michael Jordans and the Joe Montana's and the Elways. And they, they understood what were the importance of having some trusted figure putting their company on 
those people are waking up to the power of podcasting. So all of a sudden, the idea of promoting on or you know marketing on podcasts or advertising, excuse me, is is not um, it's not foreign anymore like it was two three years ago. Yeah, because if you think about it, like Lewis Howell, obviously, who has the um, the the art of what is his podcast? I, I have him, I have him on a show. Uh, or I have, not, I wish I would love to have him on a show. Lewis Howell, uh, art of charm, art of manliness, art of something. I, anyway, his podcast is excellent. I just know him from his face, and I trust him more than I trust LeBron James. Right? Like, like I would buy shoes from Lewis Howell before I would buy shoes from LeBron James because I don't know LeBron James personally. I also don't know Lewis Howell personally, but you listen to three hundred hours of his content where he's having deep conversations with other creators, financial professionals, relationship experts. It's like, oh, there's a there's a level of intimacy here where like, I think I know you, even though I don't know you, which must be super weird for those podcasters who are wildly popular to have somebody walk up and shake their hand and be like, man, I feel like I know you like a brother. That's That's got to be awkward. And I know you get a little bit of that through your wife. I'd, I'd imagine that you probably have that that happens probably more than you than you get right that people feel that way that feel that that they know you more than you obviously than you know them right but you know 100 episodes and you know hour long episodes yeah that's that's what happens and that that's not you know that happens also with like twitch streaming right where these kids are sitting in front of you know watching people play video games for hours it's that same kind of thing but it's also why those people get tons of money and brand deals too Hmm. You answered the question right. I took a drink. Sorry. Ah. Um, so then let, let me ask you this on the podcasting side. Uh, so much of whether you're getting sponsorship or you just want to have impact because it is truly a passion project or whatever is like, you know, I feel like Chris and I did it kind of backwards, right? Big studio, high quality stuff early, some really good guests. And then we're like, well, if we build it, it will come, right? Like, like field of dreams. And I think we missed a bunch of the launch steps to like get people engaged and get subscribers. I was looking at my Facebook algorithm the other day because once in a while I'll say, hey, do you want to boost this post or see your insights? So I like went to go see my insights on how many people are engaged in my posts and whatnot. I have thousands of more people who engage with me on Facebook and legitimately comment on my stuff, they're following me, they're interested in what I have to say, then we have subscribers on YouTube for the podcast. And I'm like, this makes no sense that like, yeah, I post on Facebook a lot more, but like, how have I not translated, let's just call it 10,000 friends, relationships, eyeballs, coaching clients, realtors, people that see me on social, we missed the we missed the boat on getting those to transfer into podcast viewers. And maybe that Venn got diagrams not perfect because there's a lot of people who I work with who don't want to hear my libertarian rant on homelessness people, uh, homelessness in uh, Los Angeles. I get that. Um, but what are some of the steps you're going through when you're launching a podcast to be like, hey, man, we've got to dial in this wireframe for success or you're just going to be speaking into the wind with nobody hearing you, which is not which is not fun when you're like, when you're putting your soul out there on a podcast and then you're like, oh, two people listened. I guess this is just part of the process. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And the it is it is part of the process and it's also systemic because podcasts are one of the few platforms where you can't really rely on the platform to do your marketing in the sense that if you post on YouTube, after a while, YouTube will start to promote and share your stuff 
um, to, you know, to other people who might like it. Same thing with TikTok. They do that. Actually, it's YouTube, you know, waits till the end. You know, you have to put a ton of videos on YouTube and then they start to promote you. TikTok, it's kind of the reverse where they want to give you that, that quick little hit at the beginning. And so the, the, the point is, is that you can create content and you can almost expect that if it's good enough, people will find it. With podcasting, that's not quite the case. Spotify, if your audience is younger, Spotify is doing some work right now to kind of fix that. But otherwise, you do have to drive all of the promotion. And I, and I think that that's a big reason why people's expectations aren't met, right? Because they, they don't do that. And we have stolen a lot of our strategies from Hal's book launch kind of stuff in the sense that you know, we, we call it an, an advanced listener team and we're getting people, um, you know, if it, if it hasn't launched yet, we're getting them excited to, you know, do something on the launch. Uh, we also find that um, contests and giveaways are really, really helpful to be able to do that, giving people swag. There are, are techno, uh, podcast tech has kind of evolved a little bit where you can do some cool things with contests and giveaways to get people to go and download and listen to your stuff. Um, those are Those are really helpful. And then we've also found that feedback camp, like we call it a feedback campaign, but it's basically just asking people to listen and give you feedback. Um, we found that if your show is good enough, when you they're listening for feedback, they'll keep listening, right? And so it's kind of this foot in the door to kind of get them down the rabbit hole. But we found that that, and you can do that a variety of different ways. You can have a form, you can just do it, you know, through conversations or whatever it is, but asking people to, um, you know, getting that that qualitative da data back from your listeners also um, strangely encourages them to, you know, go down the rabbit hole and they also feel like they're part of it a little more. So we found those things to, to help get people involved uh, when they're not. Yeah, we, uh, Chris and I, this, this thing has been coming through my Instagram recently. It must have recognized that I do a podcast because it's like, you know, get your podcast into the top 10, book a call, get your podcast in the top 10, book a call. So finally, it's like, all right, their funnel looks pretty slick. Their Instagram ads look pretty good. I'll, I'll give it a shot. So uh, Chris and I did an exploratory call yesterday, I think it was. We were on for about 45 minutes. And, you know, it was kind of initial sales slash consult. We'll send you the follow-up information. And if you want to give us six grand, give us six grand or, what you know. And they, they were, I was I was appreciative uh, that they weren't particularly pushy. I think the company is called Top 10 Podcast or something like that. Anyway, I digress. But one of the things that they were really bullish on is they're like, hey, man, You've got to build an email list, and the best way to do that is promotions. They're like some of the smaller sites can give away an Xbox or a signed DVD copy if you're like a movie YouTube channel or whatever. But you know, between channel and your pocket, you really should be driving some type of contest to capture emails and build that audience where it's like, hey, subscribe, send me your email, and make a comment on one of our YouTube videos, and we'll put you in a drawing. And that feels so inauthentic to me of like, hey guys. I'm just going to pretend like I'm rich and that I have $2,500 to give out for a campaign. But then I also know that it works. So what are, what are the uncomfortable things that you've got to get your podcasting clients over where it's like, Hey, Scott, I know this feels weird. I know maybe you don't want to say this or do this or have that segment or do this thing. Uh, and I'm going to make you do it because I know it works. Yeah. Well, it comes back to the end, right? Cause you know, we had a, a really, I don't want to say it was a big show, well, oh, excuse me. It was, it was a really big show that almost, how do I say this? They had a, there was a show that was doing close to a hundred thousand downloads a month that they essentially killed because they didn't have a way they, they did. There was no connection to revenue. 
right? So, so a lot of people were listening, but it didn't mean dick because because they didn't connect it to anything. And so the challenge with something like that is like when you give away, you know, for sure, are people going to go crazy for, uh, uh, you know, AirPods or whatever? Like, do those things work? Like, absolutely. Do they move the numbers? Absolutely. The challenge is that you look up and you've got 2000 email addresses of a bunch of people who were couldn't afford to buy themselves AirPods. You know what I mean? And so like if if your end goal is to now all of a sudden sell those people dick pills, well, for sure, you've got something going there. You know what I mean? In the sense that like, if if the end goal is like, you know, we're just trying to build this list, trying to build awareness so that we can show people that we have people looking like, yeah, there, that, there's a strategy there. And I don't want to, I'm coming at it with a tone of condescension and I, and I don't want to bring that judgment to it because it's, you know, it's a totally valid business model. Whereas the challenge is if someone like you all of a sudden has those emails and then are now expecting them to turn into, I don't know. Home buyers in Southern California. Right, whatever it is you know, you've got, you've got, that's not it. And so, so it's kind of when, when do you want to pay the piper? Right. And so what we've found is like, in those instances, people offering freebies, right. Or offering, um, doing some sort of contest, but, but making it relevant, I think is much more, much more important. Um, and so, uh, but people fucking love AirPods and, and iPhones. And they'll they will do almost anything for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. I mean, I agree with you. And if we're coming from this of a place of not judgment, you and I have both been around men and groups of multi, multi, multi millionaires. And a lot of these dudes will go crazy for a free branded T-shirt. Like it, it blows my mind what a grown man who makes a million dollars a year and is worth several times more than that will do for a free $12 t-shirt. I'm like, really? Like you got up on stage and embarrassed yourself like that in front of a bunch of your peers because the leader of the group was like, we got a free t-shirt. And so I, I agree with you. I don't know. And I don't, it's, you're not wrong. Cause we do, uh, we've done some work with um, like professional athletes and they love free shit. They love free shit. And so there's, there's something there, right? But it is surface level. And, and I do think that with podcasting specifically, you can do more with less, right? In the sense that, a, you know, 100 podcast listeners, that's going to be, you know, there's your conversion value, you know, percentage or whatever it is, right? Is going to be much higher than, I don't know, whatever, you know, a bigger number of, of people that are, are, are just there because they saw you on a on a social media post or something and they wanted to, to win a free something. I love that, man. Hey, if we go back in time, right? So, so I, I love talking about all this relevant stuff that's, that means something right now in Q1, 2023. But if we go back in time, you know, I know you got a lovely wife, two kids, you've been either self-employed or fully commissioned for most of your life. Do you remember the first job or the first small business you started or the first you know, maybe it wasn't even a business, but it was like something that told you, hey, I want to be self-sufficient and sovereign in how I make my money. I'm not going to go like work for the man and make $22.75 an hour and live off of $45,632. Like what is it about you or what was that first business or venture or selling candy in the fourth grade under the table or whatever? Like what was the first thing you did that was like, oh, I, I, I can make it on my own. I can make my own money and make my own way. 
Well, I was not that kid that was selling stuff on the playground. That's because I was too, I was too scared of my mom to do any, if you sold candy on the playground, they like expelled you. It was strange. I don't know why. And I went to Catholic school. So that was, that was, that was a big reason why. But I remember, um, like a lot of people in our network, uh, I sold Cutco right out of high school and, you know, it's, uh, kitchen knives and housewares and stuff like that. And they work with a lot of, you know, young kids right out of school. But I remember going to my very first appointment. It was with the mom of my I played baseball with her son we were on the same baseball team since we were like 12 and so I've known you know her name was Barbara I know Barbara for for a whole decade and I I walked uh, you know went into her house and I sold her like $400 worth of knives and I made I don't know something like 40 bucks or you know something like that and I came out and I was like holy fuck I just made 40 bucks in like 45 minutes when the summer before that I would work a whole shift at a restaurant and I'd make it out with like 40 bucks and so that light bulb moment for me was like, ah, now, if I had known how much, uh, you know, pain and agony would have come along with the self-employment entrepreneurship life at that point, maybe I wouldn't have gone that route. And, you know, it's kind of stuck to something more, more quote unquote stable. But I think that was the turning point for me. It was like, you know, seeing that you can create more, you know, more value for yourself specifically through sales. And that was something that was so foreign to me because, you know, salespeople in my house were, you know, snake oil and they were greedy or scammy or whatever it was. And so, cause I came from a very employee mindset household. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was it for me. That's awesome, man. I, I, I love that a lot. That it was that first, like, holy cow, I made 40 bucks. Uh, yeah. Cause like, I, I know kids that will work all summer you know, at the golf course or whatever, just doing the horrible job, right? Like in the kitchen, it, when we were growing up, five, six bucks an hour. Now it's like 15, 16 bucks an hour. And then they see the caddy out there who's like making $100 tips per round. It's like, oh, wait, maybe I should do that more entrepreneurial customer service, be in front of the people that have real money. So I love that a lot, man. And you're down in Southern California where housing is one of the most expensive in the world. Do you and your wife own a house down there yet? Or are you guys still no, moving we place don't. to we're place? We're actually looking at Vegas to buy our first house because we just, you know, we're we're not there yet. And the house that, that we want to live in does not make sense. We, we're not able to buy that house yet. Yeah. You, you don't want a $12,000 a month mortgage? Yeah. We're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there soon. Well, when you're looking to buy in Las Vegas, I've got a realtor for you and I got a lender for you. So hit me up. Uh, what what is the thing I'm forgetting to ask about the podcast journey? Like when you're going through, you know, because the interesting thing that that I find about your job is you're not just doing the editing and like the splicing and the technical stuff. You're actually the cons the, the the consult. You know, you're the you're the consultant who tells them up front, hey, this is what the plan's going to look like. This is what the time commitment's going to look like. So when you, you know, I'm sure people are coming to you like locked and loaded. I want to have a podcast on being the best baker or the best baker in St. Louis and talking about cakes and interviewing other cookie entrepreneurs or whatever. So I'm sure people are fired up and, you know, you've got to set expectations for what you guys do as a business and that they're not going to be Joe Rogan in the second month of the podcast. So what am I forgetting to ask about the podcast journey or the things that people need to know if they're starting? Yeah. What comes to mind is that a lot of people start a podcast around a topic and even an idea. And I think that that is, that's okay. But I think that's level one, level two, the next level would be really thinking about it. Who is, who's the person and who is, who's the type of person or who are the types of people that are going to listen. And, and I look to, um, you know, I try and look to other industries for, for models to try and bring it over. And, and one of my, um, there's a, a company called Pantone. They are a, uh, 
Pantone, I think it's like 240 or 24, something like that. I should know it better, but they are a, uh, a like an events company for Dodger fans. And uh, the guy, the owner, Alex, he's a great guy. And we, we did some, uh, we collaborated on some events over the summer and stuff. But what I love is that he came in and he created his first business and it was for Dodger fans. And he had a very clear idea of who he was creating it for. And then because his audience was Dodger fans, he was then able to create another business that had the same customer base. And so he didn't have to start over again and in, in creating this whole new customer base. He could just continue to build offerings to the same people and, and, and it all built on itself. And he was able to create this ecosystem really that, that kind of funded and, and sustained itself as opposed to the opposite, which is you know, creating a, a business and service for one type of person and then going out and finding other people and creating another business, for, you know, that cultivation of the community is so, is so hard that if you only have to do it once and then you can just kind of reap the benefits of that afterwards, then, then I think people can be, if people can be more intentional with that at the beginning, then they can, they can reap a lot more you know, at the end. And so that's what we kind of look at is who's not, what are you talking about, but who are, who's listening to your show? And then if you know, who's listening, well, why are they listening? What are they excited? Like what gets them excited about? And if you can kind of think through that, you can, you know, you can, it gives you a little bit better shot at the basket to actually get them to stick around, you know, listen, stick around. So those are, those are kind of the things that, you know, the, the big piece that we talk about at the beginning is like audience, you know, who's your ideal listener. I love it. I love it. Start with the end in mind. What are they going to do? What do they want to buy? What are they interested in? Because, um, you know, there is a danger and I'll, I'll admit to this up front. It's like we started this as a passion project because we were bored during COVID and I wanted to get some stuff off my chest when it came to like how especially LA County was responding to the pandemic. And it's all just ego. And I was like, hey, cool. It's, it's me wanting to hear myself talk and interview other people who either disagree with me or are like-minded. And it all just came back to like my ego, my desire, my wants. And now that we're getting to a point where it's like, oh, mortgage business is down a little bit because rates are down. Uh, my wife is like, all right, how many hours a week are you going to commit to this before there's like either revenue stream or something, or at least interview your kids on the podcast. Um, and now I'm having to think through, all right, if we rethink this, um, who is the end listener? How do we pivot a little bit? How do we give them a little bit more of a formulaic episode so they know what to expect week to week? And we're, we're thinking about this stuff now. So we might, uh, Chris and I might just pay you for our console to like fly up here to Vegas, do like a two day brainstorm or something and like talk through this. So just, uh, I'm going to put that on my, put that on my radar for a, uh, for a consult with, uh, with Mr. Hector. I would, I would, I would enjoy the time. I know we'd, uh, we could smoke some things. Perfect. Perfect. Um, everything's legal in Vegas. So, uh, two last questions to close us up. And, uh, one is just softball because it's one of my favorite questions to ask people your, your favorite movie and why and then the other one is like going into 2023 um what trend are you most excited about like either for you personally and your family or in your business like what trend what thing that's coming up what business conference what like i don't know what what, what things going on in your world in 2023 you're most excited about and then what's your favorite movie and why we'll close with those two questions so um I am, I'm bullish on, on like this whole AI kind of thing. Most, most selfishly. I mean, we, you actually hosted a call on, on the chat GPT thing that's kind of been going around and we've found ways to integrate that into our business. And it has been so, uh, such a boon because my 
biggest holdback has been always been writing. I'm I'm a terrible writer. Uh, I, I you know maybe some people think I'm smart, but but getting it onto paper has been so slow, and so the ability to you know pump out stuff at just mock speed has. I don't think that we've, I know I haven't fully tapped into the, the power of that. And then what that's going to do at scale, you know, for, for everybody, I think it's just, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to get really weird, frankly, right? There's all these kinds of AI things happening, even in, in video and audio, they're all kind of coalescing. And, and I don't think that we're seeing fully how it's going to come together, but that should be, you know, that should be interesting. Love it. And then favorite movie and why? So favorite movie, I don't watch a whole lot of movies anymore, but if I had to say that there was one, it's, uh, it's varsity blues. I don't know. I don't know if you remember it. Love that movie. I can watch that movie so, all day, every day. And, you know, I haven't watched it a whole lot since I've uh, been married, but growing up, I mean, I, that was, that was the one. And, and, and uh, the puke and rally scene in the uh, puke and rally into the, into the washing machine is awesome. That's like, that's, that's just a classic. Yeah. Never, never ends. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, Hector, we're going to get in touch about some type of consult or kind of maybe like uh, re relaunch exercise or whatnot. So you and I are going to be in touch soon. Um, love you to death, man. Super happy to see where everything's going with you and your family. And uh, let's make sure we talk soon. Yeah. Likewise, man. Appreciate it.